Well, hello everyone, and welcome to a bit of experimental content that if it goes poorly, will probably be thrown hastily into the eviscerating void of a computer trash bin. And if it goes well, still might never actually be heard until we remember <laughs> it and post it on our Patreon. This experimental yeah. content I have rudimentarily named between two roles since everything on this podcast uh, is a DM and a player. That's good. I thought it would be fun to ex explore that a little as well as get to know us a little bit because I feel like we're getting a lot of friends on the Discord and they're getting to know us, but they don't necessarily know a ton about us. And, you know, it's really hard to have a conversation at Discord with a bunch of people around. And, you know, yeah. there's that whole kind of like social barrier. And I figured, you know, me and Colin know each other. I can ask him the hard biting questions that sure. all of you guys have been really wanting to know. Yeah. Um, is is the first question, how hard do I cry when you roast me in an episode recording? Because <laughs> no. it's pretty it's pretty hard. It's no, I, I, I'm not roasting you necessarily. I'm mostly roasting <laughs> bait. Uh, there was, there is occasionally, you know, naming your sex tape things that I do, but that's sure, 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 sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't participate a ton in the Discord conversationally, so yeah, this will be nice. Yeah, and it's hard for me too because I've recently taken on a lot more crap, uh, and my idiosyncrasies line up with it a lot to the point where I'm ignoring everything else in my life for it. <laughs> um, I'm on my like ADHD ADD focus on certain things, and I forget everything yep. else. So, um. There is no right or wrong answers. Just, just get to know everybody. There's no trick questions. Uh, I can and, promise you I will find the wrong answers. I always do. And I'm going to try my best to let to, to guide people into like a little 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 portal into your soul. Um, do we so, want to throw on like background noise of like a crackling fireplace and like whiskey glasses clinking to make it sound like very cozy and, 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 and like high class? That's actually a really good idea. We should do that. I'll have to find some like free to use <laughs> sounds or just record a fire. I guess I could do a that. Fun fact, the Patreon is actually currently funding a sound effects library that we pull from. Oh, so excellent. Question asked and answered. All right. Damn. So thanks, folks. The first question I have, and I think some people are curious about this. It's something I have. I wonder I wonder if they wonder about so how do you know everybody in the podcast Colin Okay so Pat and I have known each other since 7th grade when I was it was my first year in school cuz I was a homeschooled boy I went straight into school with no social skills and met Pat, which was rare and for very unfortunate for him because I like if I suck now it was worse back then <laughs> Uh, and I was just awful. Um, but we somehow maintained friendship and uh, went through the rest of our... There was one year in high school where, like, in the eight rotating out, you know, like, modular periods that we had in a day, we had six of them together every single day for a year straight. So, like, uh, we've done shows together, theater together. That is also how I know Matt Canavan. Uh, we were in the same grade, though we didn't have as many classes together. Um... And shortly after high school, Pat and I sort of split ways for a bit when he went to college, but Matt and I worked on a video project called Coalition of Heroes, which is a terrible superhero movie with some very offensive things in it that you should not look up on YouTube, please. Uh, but it was very fun because he was he was in a black Speedo and we threw him around a pile of sand, and that was actually I have very a, fun. I have a quick question. Like, is this offensive enough to get you canceled? Uh, potentially, potentially. And what was the name what? again? I'm going to do a quick <laughs> YouTuberino. What was that? Uh, Coalition of Heroes. It's, uh, it was, it was our attempt at trying to do some film stuff. And it was a, it was a very, it was a very good time. It's just like us trying to figure out how to make movies and stuff. And it more or less led to the, the podcasts that we do now. Chowder. One of these has 511 views. Hell you yeah. You should, <laughs> should be worried. I should be worried. 
but um but like d- despite its flaws and us just being teenagers being like hey what the fuck are we gonna do with the movie and then we tried it um chowder was not part of that but he was part of a lot of the friend he's part of the friend group that um like the circle of people with whom we interacted to make that movie. Uh, and I didn't know him very well because he was a grade below me in high school. But as I started to mesh more with that friend group, got to know him better and better and realized I like a lot of his takes on things. And it's very fun to chat with him about them. Um, and you, I uh, I believe you're the only person from the podcast that I have not seen in person face to face yet. Yes, this um, is very true. We have but- not met. When we were trying to figure out stuff with Common Geeking Program, uh, Pat was like, I got a guy who might know some stuff, and you guessed it on an episode for that, and I'm like, all right, we can keep him around. Let's keep him well, around. Well, no, I, 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 have a, I have a little funny story, because yeah. I remember I had to apply to get on CGP. We and, were trying to be big shit, and then we weren't. It's fine. And I, I remember that I was denied entry at first. Uh, you guys went with another person. Um, and then you guys only let me on because I think somebody else had to drop. Do you ever think about how different your podcasting life would be if I never got onto CGP or how wrong you were for rejecting me? (laughs) Without getting into the politics behind it, basically we we were at a point where we were treating CGP like a pretty rigorous production, like much the way we do Dice Populi now. CGP uh, was always meant to be like us trying to maintain our, our like, hey, we used to be friends that would hang out in our friend Jeff's living room all the time and just talk talk about geek shit till two in the morning. And this was, CGP was our way of, of keeping that going. Uh, and and we started talking to you at a point when we were trying to turn it into a production and we sort of lost some of that stuff. There's all, I've, there was some drama with other people involved that just like is not worth dredging up. But like it was, we were trying to figure out like, oh man, how do we want to get this going? And CGP has sort of settled into a, once again, we're just a bunch of friends talking about geeky shit like let's have a good time with each other and like people pop in and out as they need but it's it's still very very fun to do um you uh however <laughs> uh presented me with a lot of dungeons and dragons knowledge and I did. right at the time that i was getting into D, i started like having these ideas as i typically do it's why that coalition of heroes was made it's why the podcasts tend to get made is people afloat a lot of ideas and i'm like okay but what if we what if we do it and i I, I just run with it. I'm not saying that I'm the only person that does this, but I I tend to be pretty aggressive in making sure things get done uh, for better and worse. Um, and you were one of the people that I was like, it's great on the mic. I like this guy. He knows what the fuck he's talking about while I'm on the ground floor, which is why you were listed as a co-creator because you were one of the people I was bouncing a lot of ideas off of uh, like very early days. And you were like a fantastic partner for that. Oh, I was um, very excited about it because it, it yeah. was everything I wanted to do uh is do D D things with the possibility of um people liking it yeah so i was very much on board yeah big time and then the last person was josh whom i met uh at work uh we we worked at the same place for a bit and uh he was the person who like drafted me into D D more or less i'd been listening to the adventure zone for a while so I was like primed, but I hadn't played it. And and he he's the one that got me playing. And because we were so close to each other, like in proximity to each other all the time, playing with local group um, and and go, working at the same job, he was the he's also listed as a co-creator, even though he decided like it's, this is not how he wants to play D&D. He was still so instrumental in shaping it. And he taught me so much about like uh, uh, about how to practice respect as both a DM and a player. And that is like really shape how I play D&D. And I think it shaped the show in a really positive way. Like I'm super grateful. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I miss Josh a lot. He was really good. 
yeah at uh, playing and everything else it was great yeah he knows his shit um good people so i'm just gonna note that you didn't say if you uh do think about how different your life was if i had never been oh, on I'm so or sorry. so i'm just gonna, i don't mean I, to be no, that guy but uh, no you're right you're right i, I, didn't I want this the question. i want this permanently in, I in hope, some form i hope that citing you as a creator of the show and instrumental <laughs> in building it uh does at least imply an answer that this show would not be what it is uh had had we not uh gotten you involved all right uh, i'm just gonna get a little piece of paper noted he said how wrong <laughs> he was <laughs> um so was there a particular reason that you guys because i was not an original like cast member of cgp mm-hmm. was the original idea for cgp was it just to like get some friends together and keep you guys connected or did you guys have because i think at some point you guys had like oh we could make a production of this we could go big yeah what was, was the initial was... idea though the initial idea was, uh, and you can find this in the annals of CGP somewhere, but Jeff was basically like, as we all started to like, everyone else went to school and I dropped out of school because I'm so cool and smart. Uh, I, <laughs> he, he was like, I would love if we like did something like this. Like we're always talking to each other. Now we're not near each other. We should do something like this, like a podcast. And that was an idea that he kept sort of floating up there and, and trying to get out there. And one day I sat down and I was like, okay, what are the particulars of this? What kind of equipment do we need? What are the formats? Yada, yada. If you listen to early CGP, it's very rigidly formatted because I tend to overthink things. And, and that's 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 basically how it went is let's stay together. And then I came in and messed everything up by turning it into a production. Um, but for a while, we were really excited about it. It just it turned into a thing that was not sustainable for us because the idea of let's keep friends together sort of bristled against what the production was turning into and that sort of it it has turned into a more relaxed thing that to be honest i have more fun doing now than ever and i still do at least a a monthly thing with with that particular show uh and it's the name of the llc that i use to like manage all the different podcasts because it, it at the heart of everything i want this to be a group of friends like when production asks for it let's be a production and dice populi contrary to cgp started as like a production in mind. This was not Jeff saying, let's be friends, and me saying, let's be co-workers. This was <laughs> right from the rip, me saying like, this is going to be effort. It is going to be complicated, and it's going to be worth it. And it was yeah, we're going to take it seriously. Just, yeah, it was just a different tone from the start, and I, and I like the role that each of these shows play in my life now because of that. Yeah, yeah, but these the those two podcasts are not the only podcast in your life. There is, a, I believe, a third. If not a, there's not a fourth. There's definitely a third. Correct? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. But not yet. Maybe big news on that front. But um. But yeah, no, uh, I have a third podcast. My friend Laura, with whom we did Common Geeking Program for a while, uh, her life gets busier and busier. Turns out, having a kid and getting married can take up a lot of time. What the heck? Um. But she Wild. and I. Uh, she and I have been very good friends. I'd love to say we've been friends since 2012, but the truth is we met in 2012, ignored each other for two years, and then became friends. So we've been very good friends for quite some time. And how you doing is just that shooting the shit. It's it's similar to CGP. It is literally us trying to stay in touch. For a while, that got tough because of how busy she got and me like... Every time I reminded her we have to record, I just kind of felt like a dick. And I was like, oh, God, she's so busy. I don't want to. But it's turned into a thing that we both like super look forward to. And more than anything, we do it for each other. It's uh, easily the smallest of the three shows in terms of uh, audience and effort. But like, I love it. It's it's such a cozy, homey thing to do. 
No, yeah, I've I've listened to an episode or two. It is nice, and I I really like Laura. She's She's an amazing wonderful. person. She's amazing. Like every time I've had to interact with her on the CGP mm-hmm. or um, anything else, she's always just been amazing. There was a landmark CGP episode <laughs> where I got Colin to call in a, a very threatening uh, voicemail to the Oscar Mayer company, See, <laughs> like of say, Oscar Mayer wiener fame. Like um, I said, if there's a wrong answer, I'm going to find it. Laura said, call <laughs> Oscar Mayer wiener. And you and I turned it into issuing a bomb threat to a joke hotline. Like it's. Yeah. Yeah. just always a mess it was amazing and honestly so I, funny. I still think about that sometimes as one of like the best yeah. times i've ever had yeah. uh while recording an episode because it was wild it was wild from the beginning i don't think we stopped laughing the entire time it, it was, was great. yeah every you know how every once in a while someone says what's the hardest you've ever laughed or like when's the last time that you like really laughed really hard like my mind does go back to that as like have i laughed that hard since then the answer yeah. is yes but like that is it's always going to be one of those road marks for sure fun fact that one got me in trouble with my wife because when she heard when she <laughs> oh, listened no. it, it's like you you recorded yourself as being a party to somebody that called in this like very angry voice well not really ang- it was angry it was obviously I a joke so at wit's end <laughs> i sounded like i was about to cry <laughs> yeah but like she's like you party this like what if what if a job finds this i was like one like because cgp like who knows maybe one day it'll have millions of listeners but at that time it, it maybe us and then a handful of other people like near us like my wife listening to it um <laughs> so it was like who's gonna who's gonna rat me out <laughs> like if yeah honestly i think too if you searched my name it wouldn't even show up like facebook posts would show up before CGP yeah came yeah in, no it so. probably would especially because that was that was like three years ago at this point so which is wild to think about but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> two three years ago something like that so hearkening back a little bit to Common Geeking Program, I remember in the in my failed admissions process, we had to list out our niches. My yeah. niche was like was was Dungeons and Dragons was like a main yep. one, like tabletop gaming in general. What mm-hmm. and I know I think people know some of your niches, but what would you consider your like top two niches? I mean, everyone knows Star Trek is up there. It's such a sprawling thing that I can't even get into it, but I I love all forms of Star <laughs> Trek, even the forms I hate. Um, beyond that, I guess like Sonic the Hedgehog. It, I Sonic don't know, the Hedgehog is... it goes back very far, but if we're talking like things I actually put effort and time into, unfortunately, right now it's Destiny. De- oh, like God. like I know an absurd <laughs> amount about like Halo lore, game development, history, blah blah blah. Like Halo's always been up there, but like Destiny is the living document in my life. Whereas like <laughs> d- like if Destiny is the Constitution, Halo is the Declaration of Independence. Oh, so wow. these are some I I don't <laughs> these are some weird <laughs> an al- I'm just saying the Constitution is a living document. The Declaration of Independence is not. It's just a declaration. It's I will just say a declaration that is true. I think you guys. I see you or pat playing destiny basically constantly yeah no it's it is at this point like the thing i do in my spare time it is such a great hang for me and like a lot of my friends it is i'm pretty good at it like (laughs) pretty good i'm pretty good at it um do you guys do pvp or is it just like you guys do the the no i do the i do the whole i do the whole gamut and uh, i'm getting to a point where like i know a lot about the lore i used to like destiny don't get me wrong destiny sucked when it came out (laughs) much love to the folks at Bungie I had a bad time with Destiny is probably the way I should put that I had a bad time with it it has grown into something that I love very dearly um but yeah Star Trek and Destiny are up there for things that I like am actively 
a patron of and know a tremendous amount about. No, that's great because I wish because I, I love D&D, but yeah. it's not something you can like I've done short games like an hour or something like that. But scheduling mm-hmm. is really hard. It's really hard to yeah. have like, oh, let's let's just do something for 20 minutes. I was hoping that there was like a that Dritzed game that came out recently that was co-op. Yeah. I was hoping that would fill that niche a little bit. It does not at all. It was such a bad oh, game. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I actually speaking of Star Trek, I just because I gave in. <laughs> I saw a couple of promos for Star Trek Below Decks yep. and it. It was so funny to me. I had to get like the free trial for Paramount. So yep. I've, I have gunned all of Below Decks and I just gunned, finished today all of Picard. I'm on day two of owning this subscription. Yeah. It, oh my God. That's fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I consume content is, quickly. Lower Decks is so good because on its surface level it seems like it's just making fun of star trek you peel back a layer and you're like oh no it's just a love letter than the next generation and you peel it back it's like no this is built in a deep care and understanding for what this universe is and it just happens to be made by one of the writers of rick and morty yeah i was i was so curious about your take on it because when i looked it up because i i'm a type of person Mm -hmm. that when i start hearing references and like i start seeing characters like oh i will go on i think it's called like memory alpha which is like the star trek Wiki. That and is the canon wiki. And the canon wiki. So I'll go on the canon wiki and I'll start like, oh, I don't like because I've seen all of the next generation. I've seen all of Voyager. I've seen a lot of sure. the original ones, but it's been a long time. Like I, mm-hmm. I watched the original ones with my dad when I was a kid. I haven't really watched them. So like yeah. I, I'll like I'll have random bits of knowledge. Like I can't remember the exact number, but a certain number of Quatlus was offered for like <laughs> for, for somebody's head in like the original series. I, I say that randomly like Quatlus. <laughs> um but I was, original's the fuzziest in my mind, yeah. so I can't even pick that one out. But I was very curious because I was like, oh, some of these references. And then I started seeing on Memory Alpha, it's like they're talking about these people yeah, like in the thing. I was like, is this candid? Mm-hmm. And I looked it yes, up. It is. And it's I was curious about your take because evidently it's a bit of a prickly subject with some Star Trek fans of whether or it not is. It, it is canon. So Star Trek is is big enough to I mean, it's huge. there's so much of it that's just past 800 episodes, not including the 13 movies, but like it is going to have people in the fan base that hate everything that happens with it. Star Wars is maybe like sort of the lightning rod for these kinds of conversations nowadays, especially after Last Jedi. Like if you don't like that Luke Skywalker didn't come out in a big way, understandable. If you don't like that this movie focused on people that aren't, straight white dudes then that's a different problem and star trek has the same gatekeepiness and lower decks it doesn't manifest in such a hateful way it's sort of a more casual like oh you can't make fun of star trek you can't this is supposed to be a serious so, show so and i serious. point to, and i point to the naked now and the naked time where shirtless sulu and drunk fucking data or drunk yars is fucking data running all over the place these shows yeah. are not serious I point, unless they want to be and i it point is, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to step on you. Oh, no, it's fine. And it's like when Discovery came out, first black female lead in a Star Trek show, uh, some people would say, hey, I don't think this is uh, the take I want on Star Trek. Sure. And then other people are like, I don't think you should have a black woman in Star Trek. And I'm like, you don't get it, do you? You don't don't get it. The whole point. And so when I see Lower Decks being prickly, I think it comes down to the people who like are I see it as gatekeeping, what they think a franchise or a fandom should be, when I think that it is actually looking at it like Star Trek is so big and so expansive that it 
it, it, it is it's recanonizing the animated series from the 70s because it just it loves Star Trek and it wants it all to be a thing. And I think that if if you if you take the time to appreciate that viewpoint, even if it, you bristle against Lower Decks, I think you will gel with at least that perspective. Yeah, because I think people tend to gloss over some of the weirder aspects of Star Trek. Oh, like they do. In, in Star Trek Next Generation, there was Space Irish and then Space Incels. Up the Long Ladder. Up the Long yep. Ladder, which was an incredibly offensive and honestly. So bad. And if you take it for, <laughs> if you, like, it, it plays like a really bad parody. Even in the 90s, yeah. I don't think people were like, oh, yeah. is this supposed to be funny? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Up the Long Ladder, I think, was late 88. And that yeah, was, like, it, it, even then it was bad. <laughs> it made it made no sense. And it honestly plays like parody now. And so when people are like, oh, well, is Star Trek so serious? They had space Irish and space incels. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. People take it so seriously, but comedy and like jokes and like awkward situations are built into the very framework of Star Trek. That's the whole reason of Data. He is the dead. He's the perfect oh, deadpan. 100%. Um, when Worf picks up his cat and Data is like, and you must tell him that he is a good cat and he is a pretty cat. Like, and, and it's just <laughs> then the angry warrior staring him down and says, I will feed him. It's like, it's <laughs> funny. It's a goofy thing. And I, I don't know. I think that like... When I was younger, I made the mistake of thinking like, oh, Star Wars is the fun one and Star Trek is a serious one and like treating Star Trek as gospel. But like coming to understand how much like the humanity and comedy is like central to its identity, like that's also kind of an approach I take with making this podcast. I care very much about the seriousness of the story, but I'm also the first person to break the fourth wall. I'm not saying that works the best as a role play, but like I, I think that you need to, if you're making a production you need to accept all aspects of it. And I uh, I feel very strongly about that. But no, yeah, I think it's a great take. And I, I love the way that Below Decks is like expanding upon the canon a little bit. It's filling in it the is. cracks. And yeah. it also makes fun of all like the inconsistencies and the weird things. Like there's a whole yeah. episode where they're like collecting all the, like the weird crap that they collect on yeah. missions. <laughs> yeah. The, every time something like that happens, I'm like, well, now I got to pause the episode and see if I recognize everything in the frame. Yup. Okay. Push play. Yeah. I love the like the, the like the honestly the the buck wild references the, like there's reference i can't remember, who's the blonde from the next generation the one that gets killed in like second season tasha yar well they like the season. black goo they call yep. the black goo they, that killed tasha yar they prank kill him. <laughs> and like so like that that'll i'll i'll bump up against that sometimes where i'm like hey guys stop looking at old star trek and make some new star trek but it does make some new star trek that i really like i think the season one finale of lower decks is one of my favorite star trek episodes ever i think it's fantastic i love so. the idea of the pacolids which is but was originally yeah. portrayed as a bumbling idiot race of like yeah, people that steal like, technology. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to turn anybody into a cartoon villain, this is the race to do it. Oh my god. No, but yeah, so I, I thought that would make you happy. I've gunned that down. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to start on the cuz there's a couple other Star Trek series on there that I have cuz I got another like 4 days of yeah. free trial that I got to go If you got 4 through. days, you can probably make it through Discovery. Uh Deep Space 9 is is I, I'm one of the people that will say it's the best show. Oh, I've, uh, I've, it's, got, it's I've seen D D Deep Space okay, Nine. Good. It's, it's very good. good. I love good, Deep good, Space good. Nine. I love it. Um, Odo is a national treasure. Yeah, he's also. it's also the name of my cat because I adopted yeah. him while I was in a DS9 binge and I'm like, same colors. There you go, cat. That's <laughs> your right. name. Were you uh, so we're going to maybe I'm going to slightly I'm going to slightly but ever so surely move this conversation towards D&D. &D, and this is me uh, showing you the knobs and levers of which I'm going to do it. Were you 
I feel like this is an obvious answer, but were you like a, a nerdy late bloomer or have you always been a nerd? I've always been a nerd. I, I was a social late bloomer. Some wires definitely crossed there because I was homeschooled. I didn't necessarily assimilate to like mainstream nerddom. Like my last name is Ketchin and I can't stand Pokemon. Like in any other circumstance, that would not happen. That's a travesty to a lot of people. You've been the coolest um, kid. At a, I would have been people tried when, when I finally did go to school people tried to like hey hey catch it and I was like fuck you I just got really <laughs> upset about it I'm telling you I was awful I was really bad um but no I uh like my earliest memories are playing the Sega Genesis like yeah I was a Genesis kid that explains a lot too but I had a Sega Genesis too hell yeah man well did you also have a Nintendo I did well that was yeah. the weird thing we had a Nintendo we had a uh, we had a Super Nintendo, and then we traded it for the Sega Genesis, which I feel wow. was a backwards step. For a lot of people, it would be, but dude, the Sega Genesis slapped. Sega yeah. Genesis had so much good shit on it. Are you? We had a lot me? of was, Sonic games. Yeah, a lot of good Sonic games. A uh, lot, honestly, I'd like some a lot of weird racing games that I enjoyed on there. You ever play Road Rash on the Genesis? It's amazing. Maybe. It's motorcycle game where you beat up other motorcycle drivers way better than it has any other right to be. You're literally just hitting motorcycle drivers with a crowbar. That it's, does sound familiar. I remember having a racing up. game where we hit people, but I can't yeah. remember if that's the, the exact um, one. So I wasn't a late bloomer. Uh, I grew up like for Star Trek. I was indoctrinated early. Uh, my dad had a bunch of old Star Trek he recorded on VHS and I would watch like those episodes. You mean um, stole would he download an Enterprise? He would download a pizza. <laughs> um, no, he he recorded them on VHS so that like I I would watch like the handful of episodes he had, and I would try Voyager and be like, "This sucks," and then just go back to Next Generation because he only had first season Voyager, which is oh yeah. I have feelings about Voyager. It's fine, but the the the. 2009 jj abrams movie like i like i never hid that i like star trek but i was always kind of just like it was inherited from my dad when the jj abrams movie came out it inspired me like before it came out i went back and watched all the previous 10 movies most of which i'd seen already and then after watching it, i was like okay i should i like this i should learn more about it so it was nice that i was sort of getting socially acclimated around the time that this thing made star trek like okay to talk about in front of people because it was like a popular movie that people liked so i've always been a nerd but like as i've become more sociable which is still a journey i am on <laughs> i i think it is it has grown my interests in a lot of important ways because if left to my own devices i would not know a lot about star wars i now know a lot about star wars and i know enough to know that i don't care that much about it i just enjoy parts of it like I'm I'm a casual Star Wars fan, despite how much I know. So because of this, though, like I also inherited some social stigma about like, oh, D and D's too nerdy, even for me. And like as I continued to grow and like branch out socially, like I became more exposed to it, and I like sort of was like, okay, maybe I should just chill the fuck out and see what this is all about. And here I am. Yeah, something similar happened to me. I was like my my parents got me into like Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings because they they yeah. like that stuff, too. They would watch that. Oh, Tolkien. Don't get me started on that. Oh, that's a rabbit hole for me. I like I had that whole thing. Like I played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. And then when I got to high school, which would have been the perfect time, honestly, to get into Dungeons and Dragons, I got like a bit of a like a jock 
type of thing. Like I was, mm-hmm. I wasn't a jock, but I was like hanging out with like a pretty interesting group of people. We we're all pretty mm-hmm. athletic. We would get in a lot of trouble together. And I was like, oh, I don't want no nerd shit. And then in college, yeah. <laughs> in college, which would have been if, if high school would have been like the perfect time, college would have been the actual like pinnacle of playing D and D because you have everybody mm-hmm. around you and you're living together. Yeah. I was like adamantly against it until like junior year when my friend tried to get a Pathfinder game together and then it just fell apart. I never even got to try it, but something awoke mm. in me yeah. uh, when I tried to like do character creation. Like the, there is a, a weird probably has something to do with like undiagnosed uh, mental stuff. There was a part of character creation and trying to optimize the perfect mm-hmm. character that clicked. Yeah. And I spent like three days studying that manual and like going online to forums and like writing out my character yeah. sheet like 10 times doing different things and then analyzing damage dice and all this other stuff. I was like, I then when it when it fell apart, it's like, I have to shove this down deep inside of me because I won't be able to do classwork. If oh, this no, is my, something this hanging is over my, my head. This, is, this character sheet is my scarlet letter. <laughs> yeah. So it, it really Really didn't it didn't really happen and then um after i got out of college i got my first job mm-hmm. then i started to play and then it just blew wow. up after that i would um, I, you know so much about dungeons and dragons like i see the parallel between like my resurgence of star trek interest and yours of D, but given how much you know and how much you've collected i am surprised that that was as late as it was yeah it was it was one of those things and to be honest i have a lot of blind spots like i know a ton about eberron but um oh, really I, I know it. Noticed. Yeah, I know a ton about Emerald, but something like Forgotten Realms, it is yeah. such a treacherous thing to start getting into because there's because di- with that, each edition, that's like the default location for most things. So there's like so much Forgotten Realms material. Yeah, right? and it's it's yeah. it's really weird too because in because for, Forgotten Realms wasn't the supposed to be I th- like I want to say like for the first couple of editions like Greyhawk was supposed to be the the standard Greyhawk or Mystera uh, which are barely they're not really popular at that at this point but they mm-hmm. were like the standard and then it moved to Forgotten Realms because I think they owned because TSR owned those rights outright they mm-hmm. didn't have like there was like Ed Greenwood or something like that he worked with them under contract so they had the rights Um, so they moved it to that I think as a mostly as a business decision and then they proceeded to fuck with it every chance they got. So like second edition, second edition Forgotten Realms is like completely different from like third edition Forgotten Realms. Mm. Third edition Forgotten Realms is completely different because each time like they would set out a series of modules, it would change the world as it is. So mm. and at each basically end of an edition they were about to begin a new one they would basically like destroy the world in some way or epically change it so like i want to say at the end of fourth edition there's something called the spell plague which like drastically changed the entirety of blah 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 blah. so like it's really weird and it's hard to know so much it's hard to know a lot of stuff about forgotten realms because you end up it becomes not relevant like if they come out with a new edition it won't be relevant anymore I feel like that's what it's like to follow comics closely. Like I could never get yeah. into comics for the same reason where I'm just like, all right, well, which continuity is in, is which? Like every major brand has its own like multiverse of stuff that I just cannot follow. It's digestible in, in film form usually, but it's, it yeah. I mean, I, I feel the same way when people are like, hey, I want to watch Star Trek. Where do I start? And I like have a heart attack every time. I'm like, I can't explain this to them. They'll never watch it. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like, Star Trek, Star Trek, honestly, is easy. Tell them to start with Next Generation and push through the first two seasons. And by the time they get to that sweet, sweet third season, 
at oh, the, kind of the end of second season, beginning of third season, they'll be locked in because they'll put in yeah. the time and effort. What I'm always surprised at is when I tell people to watch Star Trek The Next Generation, because I mean, like, even when it's at its at its worst, that show, it is still so, like, honestly about hope and curiosity and intelligence and, like, deep humanity. Uh, and, like, that sings through even the episodes that don't work. Um, so I will see people watch that show and they're not used to something so earnest and wholesome. And they're like four episodes into season one, like, this is the best TV show yeah. ever. I'm like, that is unwatchably bad. And I think it's like the Ted Lasso effect where like, even if you're not like, this is the greatest show ever, you're like, something's hitting me about this. Yeah. There's like this hopeful optimism that's very yeah. much in the next generation that is infectious and makes you, yeah. makes you almost want to be like a little bit of a futurist. You're like, oh, the future can yeah. be like this. This is great. Yeah, and I think that all the best Star Trek is the stuff that carries it carries that forward, and like that mentality carries over to like how I play Dungeons and Dragons and how I just interact with people generally. I think it's a it's a it is a healthy place to start your thought process. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of my ideas for how to play have been shaped by like the media you're exposed to, a lot of the fantasy media yeah. you're exposed mm -hmm. to, and sci-fi is part of fantasy, I, I believe. So it, it kind of shapes you i like whenever playing i play a game like mass effect i think the fact that oh. i watched picard oh. be picard as a kid yeah. i always do what i feel like picard would do yeah like even if i'm not thinking about it um i always do like the nicest thing possible and i think it's infected me in other ways like i can't do evil run-throughs of anything i feel I, bad. yeah no it's it's really hard i so mass effect i have a complicated but lovely history with <laughs> it, that was one of those things where even like as I was playing nonstop Halo Reach, I was like, Ugh, what fucking nerds are playing Mass Effect? And then I tried it. I'm like, all right, it's this really is good. pretty good. I, I was blown away that like in Mass Effect 1, like there was a game that had the same amount of information as like what was then like 35 years of star trek i was like how did they just write this yeah. for a game and it's all in the background and then and the end of two i fucked up and i got everyone killed and i didn't revisit it <laughs> until about five months ago when the legendary edition came out yeah. ryan ryan it's good it's really two good. weeks two weeks straight all i fucking did dawn till dusk was mass effect oh, yeah. i like my work performance suffered because <laughs> it I, was bad i was i could not get my eyes off the screen and i beat all three and it's just i love them so much no they're really good and i feel if you if you do play as like a paragon you do mm -hmm. have a certain starfleet air because you're always yeah. talking about like the future yeah. of humanity pushing things forward bringing everybody yeah. together and it, it does feel like that um it's not hard to put that like idea Every in your head that you're playing as a like a young spec ops yeah. picard yep <laughs> And, and every once in a while, when I do a renegade option, I I always tried to like be Paragon mostly. I always punch but also the reporter. Not, you gotta punch. Yeah, the like like don't take don't take any shit. Throw a punch when you need to throw a punch. And every once in a while, I'm like I'm Starfleet, but Riker got a little drunk today, so <laughs> that was pretty much how I played Mass Effect. So I think you touched on this a little bit before, but are you like the lone nerd in your family? It doesn't. It sounds like your dad might be a little bit nerd, but are you like kind of the yeah. lone nerd? <sighs> I certainly have been the one to carry the torch of the most nerdy things. Um, like, my, my, I have two siblings. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Neither of them, like, ner if you met them, they're, you, you would not be like, they're a fucking nerd. But as soon <laughs> as you meet me, you can't think really anything else. Just because I will inevitably start talking about one of my interests. Like, we all grew up playing 
Sonic on the Sega Genesis, Sonic on the Sega Dreamcast, watching Star Trek reruns. But I'm like, I'm the only one, like, I just played and beat, like, I'm almost 100% complete with Sonic Colors Ultimate because I'm a slave to my interests. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, they they respect it. A few months ago, I got a text from my brother like, bro, why did nobody tell me Deep Space Nine was good? And I was like, bro, I've been trying to tell you that. You been won't preaching listen. it for years. I've been saying it for so long. It's amazing. So I just it's, they they respect it, but I I wear it on my sleeve. I super enjoy my fandoms. I when I was in high school, like I I suffered through the two year drought of Sherlock BBC back when it was still <laughs> beloved. Uh, after series two, when there was that big cliffhanger and we had to wait two years, uh, that was like, that felt exactly like growing up. My dad, well, he showed me, uh, the Star Trek two-parter best of both worlds. And he was like, I had to wait three months to know how this wrapped up. And now I get to tell people I had to wait two years to know how this (laughs) wrapped up, except that next gen ended on a high note. And I don't think Sherlock really did, but that's fine. Um, (laughs) can't always get what you want. (laughs) Can't always get what you want, but like, it's. Yeah, I, I've certainly carried this forward in a big way. And even though I don't like to like sit down and say, what do you guys think is going to happen in the next Marvel movie? I'm still like, I'm I'm interested in discussing them when they happen. And I think rather than trying to theorize about what other people are going to do, I like to sit down with you guys in Dice Populi and say like, hey, what are we going to do? What story can we tell? Because I love listening. To, if I can make something that anyone else likes to listen to or pay attention to as much as I like to listen to and pay attention to other things that is fulfilling on like a biological level for me in in like a caring way in that like I I want people to love things and be happy about things and in order to do that I want to make the things that I love and that make me happy yeah, I could see that I'm not the sole nerd like my dad was pretty nerdy yeah I, I would not be surprised if in a different time in a different place, my dad would have probably played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Cause I, I like when I was a kid, I found like a bunch of his drawings from when he was a kid. He used to be a pretty good artist. And they were yeah, all like my dad. They were all like dragons <laughs> and fantasy stuff. Which uh, my dad drew Starship, so very 70s, uh, which maybe like 60s, 70s, he was drawing like dragons mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I feel like he would have done it. And I think he doesn't comment. My mom thinks it's super nerdy and she'll try to make fun of me. Yeah. <laughs> But like my 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 older brother, he used to play a little Dungeons and Dragons. My younger brother is like fully into it, loves it. He is like letting his nerd flag fly. And it took me a while to kind of like broach the subject with everybody. I wanted to slowly reveal how nerdy I'd become, which like it shouldn't have been that big. I'm an engineer. I'm like an aerospace engineer. Like, it's, yeah, it's obvious. Like, what else am I going to do? Like collect boats, like collect little boats in like <laughs> uh, jars or whatever. Yeah. I have very limited. Ryan, Ryan Mosbargo, notorious boat guy. <laughs> yeah, notorious boat guy you got big boat dad energy yeah so I, i'm definitely like it's something i'm not the black sheep i i because it took a while like my i think my brother was my younger brother was open about it but he didn't really tell me and it wasn't until like yeah. a, a car trip where i was taking him back home from d like it was a dc I, we were driving from dc to my parents were picking up him in his college in north carolina and he said something i was like wait you play Dungeons and Dragons? And then mm-hmm. my poor wife, then fiance or girlfriend, I can't remember how far back this was, but she had to sit in the car as we talked for the next like three hours about like games that we're in and things that yeah. we've done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm definitely probably going to be the black sheep of nerdum in my house. Like my wife, she is nerdy. She likes things. She, she loves Star Trek The Next Generation. She likes mm-hmm. nerdy stuff. 
but, but it, the, the level that like you and I go with these things is just so far beyond yeah some like, people's capacity for interest which is like totally respectable yeah she doesn't like google all of like the yeah. the stuff behind this scene and what it like connects to she doesn't watch a movie immediately read the full wikipedia <laughs> article on it and then tap on a bunch of the citations at the yeah. bottom she gets yeah. that way a little bit with like marvel so we'll watch the youtube okay. stuff like yeah. behind the scenes things for marvels like people connecting the dots and showing oh this mm -hmm. is like a this connects this universe to this thing or this property with this property she'll do that so i feel like if i really wanted to i could like press on that but she's very I think she's very reticent to seem nerdy. She wants to be seen as stylish and cool. Yeah. It I that did that was definitely a part of how I presented some of this stuff for a while. Like I like I know that in a world of Star Wars fans, it's not always popular to say like I'm a Star Trek fan. That's not really so much true anymore, but it like was when I was coming of age. Um which makes me sound like I'm a lot older than I am. I shouldn't talk like that. I'm a kid. <laughs> And like, you know, in a world of Mario fans, like I'm a Sonic fan, which even I will say that's it's not always good to be a Sonic fan. But like, yeah, how does how does how does having uh what's his face? The what are the, the lamest Chris playing? Is that any form of vindication to have the lamest Chris being playing <laughs> so, uh, going to play okay. Mario? So the casting news of Mario in the movie <laughs> <laughs> does not bother me at all. I do not care about it. I'm not happy about it. I'm not sad about it. I don't really have any hatred toward Chris Pratt. How could I? I If you ever get mad at him, just watch Parks and Rec, and you'll be like, oh, this is why it's I different. like it. It's a different man. I, yeah, I honestly yeah. skinny skinny Chris <laughs> Pratt is a different man than thick Chris Pratt, and I will stand thick by Pratt. that. Yeah, but so no, that was I mean. The fact that people like the Sonic movie was kind of just like it was kind of like the J.J. Abrams movie coming out like, oh, it's OK to talk about Sonic again. His and Twitter then presence... Colin was dressed up as Sonic at the bus station. Uh... <laughs> Come on, guys. No, I a, was a slam hit movie. So I had like a pit in my stomach for like the entire two year production cycle of that movie. It was it was it was dangerous. And I didn't even love it. So it was just like. <laughs> I, I have no problems with it. it as an adaptation. It's it's on Paramount Plus, so there you oh. go. Another thing to yeah, do with that free to... trial. No, a lot of people really like it. I think it's just like kind of a bland movie. It's it, it changes a lot of shit about Sonic, but Sonic doesn't make any fucking sense. So who actually cares? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Breakaway. I know you've been hearing me talk quite a bit so far, so. Pardon this interruption where you hear only me talking without Ryan to break it up. I know it's a lot to ask, but I only need a couple of minutes because we use these Fifth Wednesday uh, bonuses to try to give you uh, housekeeping updates. And lately those have come in the form of seasonal updates. Uh, this is primarily a tool for our Discord server if ever you feel like hanging out with a bunch of hilarious podcast friendly folks. Uh, but we try to organize our community initiatives and our release calendars into seasons the most recent one being the season of the crystal and i'd like to talk about how that is wrapping up now it was so named for uh the crystals that we see in meant to be completely of chatter's design um but let's just sort of wrap up all the little things that we started at the beginning of the season so our goals for patrons we're still trying to crank those numbers up and uh, if we hit 50 uh patrons on our patreon we will release the full volume four of the dicey water soundtrack um and we're gonna release some teasers to patrons as well 
but you know, we'll uh, I'll talk a little more about that in a second. That would be music from A Second Chance, the adventure run by Matt, which ended uh, quite some time ago now. It's hard to believe, but um, the A Second Chance, some of my favorite music that I've done, and I'm really excited to get that out to everybody. Um, but beyond that, our Patreon also features a number of other things, one of them being... Uh, our donations to charity. We always take 20% of our revenue from Patreon and donate it to a selected charity for that season. And for Season of the Crystal, that charity was the Center uh, for Disaster Philanthropy, the CDP, uh, who does great work in trying to mobilize individuals and groups to uh, provide support for people affected by natural disasters. And boy, howdy, have we seen a decent amount of that, uh, even just here in the United States in the last year. So we're very happy to be putting... Uh, it's not the hugest amount in the world, but we got 50 bucks that we are putting straight towards that cause. And that's because of you. Not only are you making it easier for us to bring you fun stuff and good content, you are helping people that really need it. Um, now we also have to wrap up the biggest piece of information that comes with uh, each seasonal shift. And that has to do with our discord winners. So we're going to go through the top three of the leaderboard. We have a bot named Uge that keeps track of participation in our discord server and whoever wins by participating the most and getting the highest level, uh, ends the season, uh, with a special title and gets a, basically a piece of merch or D and D paraphernalia, on us, funded by the Patreon. So in the past, we've given out things like sweaters, uh, travel mugs, uh, candle keep mysteries. Uh, so uh, this is a very fun thing that every three months or so, uh, we get to reward our fans just for stopping in and saying hi on a pretty regular occasion. So uh, Uge has kept a close scrutinous eye on all the individuals in our server. And we have in third place this season... Luli, our good friend uh, from Argentina that has come in third place at level 13 and 796 messages over the course of Season of the Crystal. Now, this one might sound a little familiar. In second place, once again, we have Hertasi at level 17 with 914 messages over the Season of the Crystal. That's two second places in a row. Let's see if we can't get that up to first place next time. Uh, and in first place this time is our very own Lady Toast. At level 24, more than doubling second place with 2.1 thousand messages in our Discord over the season of the Crystal. So Lady Toast, you are the victor of the season of the Crystal. Uh, I can think of a lot of terrible nicknames uh, related to the word Crystal, so I will let the Discord community or you just figure out what you want that title to be. Um, but we'll be reaching out to you shortly just to make sure that you get your prize uh, for being a lovely and cherished membered, uh, member of our group. So that's uh, that's Season of the Crystal. Let's look forward and see what's coming next. Now, uh, it may be sort of obvious to those of you keeping a close eye on the podcast, but the, those of us involved with it have not been quite as active. Uh, we're sort of trying to bring everything back together. But that thematically sort of tied in with some of the things that are happening in Dicey Waters and Entrenched, both campaigns that we produce as podcasts. Uh, and that takes us into our first season of the year 2022, beginning today, Season of the Fractures. Um, I also just like it because it kind of jives with the whole crystal thing, so it's like a nice little continuation of that. Um, so Season of the Fractures is where we're going next, and this is going to start off with a big hefty doozy boy of an announcement which uh, ties into the last breakaway that we did, 
where we announced we were looking for a Discord moderator. And I'm here to tell you that moderator has been found. We had a handful of applicants, and uh, this may not come as a surprise to a ton of people, but our, uh, at least for now, our first moderator as part of our Dice Populi Discord, joining the Dice Populi crew officially is Dreamy Ray, Princess of the Jerrys, uh, now officially part of our group. Uh, and she is, uh, she currently has all the access and rights of a moderator, uh, but we're sort of taking time to sort of suss out uh, what changes we think need to be made to make things a little cleaner, a little friendlier, and make sure that, well, we're actually really paying attention to what you guys want. If the five of us who make the show are too busy, we don't want that to be a reason that you guys ever feel neglected. Uh, so Ray is going to be acting as a conduit uh, between us and the and the uh, the group at large. That doesn't mean we won't still be messaging and chiming in. We will, don't you worry. But in the event that we can't, we'll always have an ear listening for you and what you need. Uh, we also are partnering with her to have some plans to make the place a little more fun and engaging. We've always talked about wanting to do more regular events, and we have done them in the past, but uh, we'd love to do them more often. So we're having active conversations about bringing back listening parties as an integral part of our schedule, talking about weekly polls, talking about other means of engagement. And honestly, it just feels so good to have uh, to have somebody on the team that cares so much about this community and is willing to help us put those things into action. So please welcome Ray to this capacity. Um, I think that she's been a staple from the beginning, and I'm very excited to have her on board. Otherwise, the rest of this is going to be pretty straightforward. At the end of the season, Uge will tally up again who was the most participative in our group, and we will uh, dispense rewards. For the season of the Crystal, we are going to be pledging 20% of our Patreon revenue to the Trevor Project, which is a charity and organization dedicated to providing support, resources, and education to uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community, a community that has uh, higher suicide and depression rates than many other groups. And this is this is a group that does a lot of good work in trying to make sure that that those who are being negatively affected because of just the way that they are, are receiving additional support and care. And uh, I mean, there's always more that everyone can do, but we're very happy to say that uh, in this season, we will be directly financially contributing to this kind of cause as well. And any of you that join us on our Patreon are just by matter of that, supporting them all the same. As far as our release roadmap, we can guarantee on the 5th, you'll have the next episode of Dicey Waters, Chapter 59, we're going to continue to uh, post uh, voting polls for Patreon members so that you can vote on episode titles for upcoming releases. Um, around January 8th, we're also going to be releasing uh, Entrenched number 11. Uh, if you listen to the most recent Entrenched, Sharn Yu, uh, you got a lot of information on the setting that the show is going to be inhabiting now, and we've recorded some of it, and it is so much fun. I'm really enjoying it. Um, uh, meant to be is probably going to be carrying us through the rest of the season, so expect to hear more of Chowder's Adventure at least through, what, end of March, I believe is kind of where we're looking, uh, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun one, fellas. We got a, we got a lot left to tell in this story before I take over for our final adventure in Dicey Waters. Uh, so that was about 10 minutes of me rambling about this stuff, but all the details can be found uh, laid out nice and clean for you on DicePopuli.com under the news section. Season of the Fractures, let's get it off to a good start. So big welcome to Ray. Thank you to Lady Toast for being such a vibrant member of our community. 
And uh, I'm going to let you get back to the interview as if I haven't been talking enough. We will see you with a new episode next week. Coming back to like Star Trek and D&D, whenever people try to like say like, this isn't how I learned it or I like to play it. I'm like, it doesn't make sense anyway, guys. Can like, can we yeah. all just please all kick believe. back? Like I'm not tapped into the D&D world, but you are very frequently like surfacing to me anyway, a lot of controversies in the D&D community. And I'm always 100% with you of just like, why is this a problem? Let people play the way they want to play. Let them use items. Just be respectful people. Yeah. And like when you ask me about lower decks prickliness, I'm just like, if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. It doesn't break anything else. Like, let's just have fun, guys. It's a fun thing. That's very so. true. I think I think with a lot of nerd, I think you're talking about like gatekeeping. I think there's a lot of gatekeeping in nerdy things because and I got in a little bit of trouble recently, not, not too far back, but maybe last couple of months because I was hitting TSR pretty hard. Oh, the, yeah, like I saw reformed you you were, the reformed yeah. TSR and I was hitting them pretty hard and I wasn't and by hitting them hard I was making memes about them and I got I a few of them assassin I like people were being very cruel and mean oh yeah they were really fucked up it was really fucked up and all this was over them like TSR as a comp as like the company calling yeah. a trans person disgusting and yeah. then refusing and then for like days afterwards refusing to like take it back or to be nice to mm -hmm. anybody and then a bunch of really toxic people that have been sitting angrily watching this hobby evolve grow and change being like well this is my opportunity to put like I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to tell you what's real and what's not and like yeah. I don't and I, it just gets messy and I think there's a lot of that toxicity in old nerddom because the people yeah. I think the one they're old, older people tend to just to be a little, sometimes just tend to be a little more toxic from their time. And then two, I think there is a certain form of like, it's, I can't really put, put my finger on it, but like they're owed it. Like they had to sacrifice to be a nerd there, yeah. and there, now it's so a, easy a, to be a nerd. Yeah. It, it's, it's the fallacy of I had to suffer. So should everyone else. Yeah. And that is, that is not. A sustainable idea in any theory or practice it it, it is not it, it, no matter how you break it down if you think that in order to enjoy entertainment there needs to be suffering or that you need to hold people to your standard of misery you're going to poison the well it, like yeah. i don't think there's really a way to argue against that point i think you can argue whether or not you're doing that but that and that's an argument worth having because, like, I really regret a lot of the gatekeepy attitudes I had toward things. Not even in big ways, just like people are like, oh, I'm a Star Trek fan. And I'd be like, well, have you seen this Star Trek? And I'm like, shut the fuck up, Colin. And it's like, I yeah. I had to, I uh, that was like me as a teen into like, and I just, recognizing it now is 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 frustrating, but I'm glad to see that I can recognize it. And I have a hard time looking at things where it's like, people are either incapable of or unwilling to try to see how that behavior affects other people because people telling me like hey colin this sucks and me taking the time <laughs> to look at it like that it's it's such a huge part of my growth especially as someone who like i i don't have great social instincts i have to be helped along by the people like calling me on bullshit 
uh, unfortunately, there's just not a lot of good faith in those kinds of conversations, generally yeah. speaking. Uh, and the memes that you made were not hateful or spiteful or targeting anybody. They were just like, <laughs> these guys said something transphobic. I'm going to make jokes about the fact that they did a fucked up thing to, yeah. one, try to make some sort of light out of it. But two, try to let people know that someone is being hurt. By something someone is saying, like, this is supposed to be a space where you enjoy things. We don't need the teenage Collins of the world <laughs> trying to say, like, you should feel a certain way about it. And, no, like, yeah. I, I think that the fact that all of us on the show share that attitude, and I mean, like, we are not the most, from, like, a demographic standpoint, we are not the most diverse bunch of folks. Uh, but that just comes out of the fact that we are the friends we are, and we're making the show we want to make. But it is, I think everything we do is so rooted in the idea that we love this, and we want other people to love it, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's difficult sometimes to think about how because like I, we're in it like i know a tons of about mm-hmm. D. i have friends i can play D D with but it's weird to yeah. think about somebody on the outside who's maybe watching a little bit of critical role or listening to adventure uh, mm-hmm. uh I'm blanking adventure on. i want to say zone. adventure time but it's adventure zone yeah and really want to get zone. into this hobby but they start talking to some of these people and they yeah. start seeing this stuff on the internet and it's just some of these people don't even yeah. see them as a person and it's it's wild to me yeah yeah, or, you, you, we don't want D and D recruitment to become like the yoga moms into QAnon thing on yeah. Instagram. Like that's this can't turn into that. We need to fight back. Yeah, no, I that's a movement that I truly and deeply hate. It, it's just wild to me. I wish people. I think I, I think part of it is like there's a, I went through this. You need to go through this. And also too, I think people think they are right, and that just because they think they are right, they need to. Yeah. their voice out in the space it's one of the reasons why i like eberron so much is that very clearly yeah. like page one they're like everybody's eberron's going to be different there is like besides what's in this book there is no like canon besides what's canon at your table like there's a yeah. reason we leave these things vague it's so you can figure it out yeah like, in my eberron is like a whole section of the book and it basically cuts these arguments to shreds and like leaves them off the yep. table which i think more books need to do yeah and it's it's what things. something that spoke to me about the elder scrolls 3 like everybody loves oblivion everybody loves skyrim but morrowind is like a game where it's like you become the nereverine this crazy thing but the game never confirms it and it's like it's always trying to keep you like actively thinking about your role in the game which is inspiring and like to your point about everyone thinking they're right i mean of course we also think we're right i believe it in the things that we're talking about here in terms of inclusivity and how fandom should welcome people. But like I, something about the five rotating DMS thing that is like a weirdly humbling experience. And this is not the tutor on horn. This is just me really being excited about like the emergence of what we've done. When we switch off to a new DM, like I think to a degree, we're all forever DMS in this group. Yeah. Uh, I know Chowder DMs a lot. Pat was always DMing for his groups in uh, in our hometown. Matt is not a forever DM, but he he also has a weekly group that meets every week. So he's part of some other sorcery I don't understand. But like suddenly having to hand over a story you just told to someone else and then they play by different rules. For me, it is humbling, surprising, and like exciting. Like I talk about it a lot, but like I originally came up with the cat on the boat in the beginning of the campaign. And I was like, there's a cat on a boat and he's got a necklace. And then I was like, I have some ideas for this cat. And then Josh was like, that cat is a person. And I was like, that is not what I thought was going to happen. But like, it's, it's it get talking about how like socialization opened my, like my, my becoming 
socially adept, like open my mind to things through exposure. This is like a very fun, unique form of that where like we all we all know how we play D and D, and then to suddenly like seed control of that a bit is like scary and fun. Yeah. And it's like this rotating DM thing would probably only work in the context of a show and a production, but like this is the most exciting D and D experience I have ever had. Is yeah. like handing my story over to you guys with a couple of notes for you, and then saying, "Don't break it," and then you break it, and I'm like, "All right, what do we do next, boys?" <laughs> it's also what do we do? it's humbling in a way too because there I think we're all I don't think any one of us is like the perfect DM we all have our different ideas mm -hmm. and our different play styles I don't think any one of us is like the right one or the wrong one, but I think we do have particular like strengths um yeah. and it's been interesting seeing and it was a little nerve-wracking at first because like when i because i was the first one i was like i don't want to be like yeah, the you, bad one like i don't want to be like the bullet for all of us you did a you you laid yourself down to to try to figure this out yeah, for it's us. like what what if i'm i guess i i, I uh pat's dm for me and I, he's a good dm so i i knew he was good but i didn't know anyone's like what if they're like really good and like i'm like the shitty one that doesn't mm -hmm. know how to do anything and everybody else is like, well, thank God this arc is over. So it is, it's a little nerve wracking, but also it's been great as a DM to be exposed to different play styles. Like I learned a lot from Josh. I thought Josh's yeah. play style, especially it's something that I've been trying to move more into. I have a tendency yeah. to either under prep or completely over prep. Yeah. And yep. I, I just having like some ideas in my head and bouncing off those. I've been trying to use that more and more in a lot of my campaigns. Yeah. He, um, he makes it seem effortless in a very, very crazy way that like when, it, when you first watch him DM, you're like, Oh wow. He must put a lot of work into this. And I'm like, what did you do to prep? He's like, I literally didn't. <laughs> and I'm just like, big tree turtle, uh, other yeah, turtles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> big it's, turtle. It's, it, like doing one shots with him basically when we would get together it was like hey do we have enough people for a game and he would just start riffing D D, and we just like i guess we're playing D D now and it was it's it's very cool but um so yeah to, and from an editing perspective from like editing and i do the music and like the sound design like it, it's i get weirdly intimate into how you guys dm because it really structures like what i have to go off of for the production and like you are very, very flowery with your description of everything. You put so much thought and prep into how you design your worlds and what you want the tone to be in the aesthetic, which makes it very easy for me to say, okay, I'll use this sound effect. I will space things this way. And then when I get to someone like Pat, who's a little more utilitarian and it's just like, these are the things you need to know to progress. I'm like, I don't know if I have a foundation on which to build an audio play <laughs> like i don't have a lot to go off of and like you might even hear it in the episodes i tried to cut some of it but well matt was doing most of the cutting at that point but i would try to in the game like as we're playing prod pad like paint me a word picture and that wasn't me saying like i need to know what to do as a player i'm like please make this easier for me in four weeks when i have to edit this just please <laughs> paint please me a something. word picture i pat. asked him for music like i asked i think we've talked about how i was like ryan what kind of music do you want and you just sent me like eight videos of razors on strings <laughs> 
Like Basically, you knew exactly what you wanted this I, to sound like. I had an idea. I would. There was. A, I think I sent you like the Joker theme song yeah, from yep. Dark Knight and some of this other stuff. Like I want it to be a little unhinged because yep. I saw I saw the Beast as very much like a kind of like a Joker like figure. He had gone crazy. Yep. Wanted to see everything burned down just for the sake of seeing it burn. Yeah. So I had some and, ideas. And you you came at me with all that heat about like what you what you thought this had to be and how you wanted it expressed. And I said, Pat, what kind of music do you want? He says, I don't know. Shanty would be cool. Sh- shanty. <laughs> Give me that's, five different versions of all, Shanty. That's all he ever gave me. I set, kept sending him proofs of concept. Like, <laughs> how's this? He's like, yeah, not Shanty good. enough. Like, do you have any thoughts? No. Pat, please. <laughs> like the locked. And lo- I'm really proud of how some of the locked and loaded stuff turned out. But like, goddamn, it was really hard to figure that one out. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm going to move a little bit more into maybe our Dungeons and Dragons very specifically in our podcast specifically. And I'm, these might be a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. If you could change one thing about our podcast, what would it be? <sighs> about the show or about how we make the show? <laughs> your choice. Your choice could be anything. <laughs> I would make it easier to source sound effects and music, maybe. <laughs> I thought you got a library. I do, but like I still have to go through and vet it. And I'm like, oh, is yeah, this yeah. the right kind of slapping noise? Not nah, this one kind of sounds like a potato <laughs> chip crunch, not a hand on a face. As as uh, and I just did some work for a TV show that was like uh, I I had to build the first audio pass for something, but that was someone else is gonna go in and redo this later. We just need the bones, and this is like I can't do just the bones. This has to sound good. <laughs> it is difficult. It, it, I guess if I had to change something about like the story of Dicey Water so far, I I often regret the lack of of how our characters' backstories have been fleshed out. Because yeah. um, not even that like they don't exist. They do exist. You guys all wrote great backstories for your characters, but like those haven't really bubbled up to the surface enough, in my opinion. And I don't think that that really hurts any of the adventures. It's just that when I'm looking at like, okay, how are things going to pay off planning a final adventure? Uh, I'm always looking for ways to try to draw things out of you guys. Like, I don't want this to turn into a soap opera. Where we're all crying and screaming at each other the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is it, it is one of the challenges of having multiple DMs is when I hand the story over to you, I can't be like, okay, Ryan, now you got to remember to do this. If I'm doing that, then you're not really the DM anymore. I would be doing a bad job and I would make it not fun for you. Uh, in fact, I asked Josh to do some stuff like that one time and he's like, that's kind of inappropriate. And like, that was really good for me to hear. But it but it does it does make it does make it difficult for character stuff. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I kind of made Cult's backstory pretty simple and also finite like he has there's not a whole lot to reach back there for his driving motivation is that his his mind was basically blown apart by eldritch sight Mm -hmm. and now just like doesn't see the point he he was started out as the ultimate nihilist like what's the point of human life yeah i can eat a person it's just me like what does it matter (laughs) yeah and i think you role play that like perfectly and and i don't want to do like a Let's revisit how Cult experienced everything. Like, I don't want to do the prequel unless it's going to show us something new. Yeah. As someone crafting the stories on the recording and the production end, it is just how much of this is the audience actually going to know and pick up on? I can't just assume that they remember this stuff because we don't talk about it a lot. And I don't think that's necessarily a failure of role play. I think it is just I, I think it is a challenge of the format we've chosen. Yeah, true. And speaking of the difficulty of the format chosen, so you've position yourself almost as like the dm's dm was it like headmaster head i think is what you (laughs) dubbed it as yeah that's 
And and your role is to kind of help everyone set up their stories and that there is some semblance of like a link between them. Is it difficult to have that extra knowledge and play as a character in it? Not really. And I thought it would be. I really, really thought it would be, which is why initially the plan was I would DM the intro thing. Bait was just a random NPC I had. And uh, I was not even present when you guys recorded It Came in the Night. And it was when I was talking with Joss, he was like, hey, do you want to play the game? At that point, we'd gotten comfortable enough that I wanted to try it. And when I finally did play, we actually, we surprised, we tried to surprise you. I lied to you and I was like, I need to be on this recording because it was too hard to edit. It came in the night when I wasn't part of the recording. And then I started playing as bait and Matt was like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, so I tried to surprise you there. That that was That was genuine, but like... It's it's pretty easy. Uh, there were a couple instances where DMs told me like this is a th- like I know outlines of adventures before we go in, and it's sometimes hard not to metagame around that just because I'm like it's like a piece of world knowledge. But usually you guys end up changing things. So like yeah. even if I was metagaming and not realizing it, you change it enough that like I don't know. Like Matt's story didn't go the way I thought it would. Pat's story. I think we talked about originally was the idea was that Locke was going to take over the Black Tide and we would think he betrayed us. And so when we found him in the cell that I was sitting there like, what the fuck is happening? Like, (laughs) I was so confused. So it would be hard if you guys weren't such good DMs. Yeah, I thought it was going to be difficult because if for people that don't know, I... I wrote the bare bones of the world. Yes. Very bare bones. Like very. I still try to refer back to it as much as possible just for the sake of consistency. It's really helpful. Yeah, because I was I was worried like, oh, I'm going to know things about it. Uh, you know, I've got this. But I think the idea that we we're like nothing's canon unless it's said helps yeah, out a that, lot. That has been really key to this whole thing feeling it holds together. In our current adventure, I've had to hold my tongue a few times because like. This is it's so completely different than what I yep. imagined happening for yeah or uh, happening for and around the events that are happening. Try not to give any yeah. spoilers, but it's completely I, different. I, so I'm just like trying I, to like I okay, felt okay, a okay. bit of guilt working with chatter on this stuff because basically I had ideas for the end of the show, but like part of the reason we brought in chatter was honestly I looked at Pat's adventure and I was planning it out with him, and I'm like the Black Tide story is great. It is not the finale to Dicey Waters. Like it does not get us into enough world information. And I worked really hard through Matt and Pat's campaigns to try to get us into world details more. That was most of the prodding I did for them. The stories were all them. I was just pushing for like, how do we tie this all into the core ideas? And by the time it came to help Chowder Plan meant to be, a lot of it was just me explaining stuff about bait to him and my ideas about bait. And then I was just like, all right, Ryan gave us the show Bible. We are going to take this from based on to inspired by (laughs) we have to like chatter wants to tell a story that is more important than anything so the whole it's not canon till it's air things i think it's part of that humbling experience just like the cat for me i'm like i had ideas and they got blown out the airlock and yeah for sure i think i think it has been good that that happened no yeah it's it's good i think it's good too because now there is a if it was strictly by the book, I don't think there would be any mystery in it for me as a player. Yeah, I, I would really, I would basically know what's going on. And now yeah. I don't know what's going on. I have, I have zero clue, which I think is fun and it honestly keeps keeps things interesting for me, keeps me in it a little bit more. I think we we, we touched on this a little bit. Is there anything from the podcast 
that you've picked up and like installed into your DM positronic uh, brain? <laughs> so I've not done much DMing since we started the show. I've done like a couple one shots for people. I don't think I have the bandwidth to do like another full game. I think I've adopted a lot of y your attention to detail and like visual description and Josh's sort of like carefree, don't worry too much about the bones, just tell a story. And, and I think that it's helped a lot, especially as I come back to do above boards. The original concept of above board interludes was this would be for leveling. And I always forget to every single time, not once have I remembered to discuss leveling during an above board. <laughs> it hasn't happened. Yeah. Because essentially what I'm doing is I'm looking at the stories that you guys have just told. I'm looking at the story the next person wants to tell. And I'm like, how do I bridge this? So if you want to, honestly, the best way to look at how you guys have taught me as a DM is to look how I think the storytelling quality of above boards have changed i think that each one is really resultant of your styles and and how you do things in a in a big way i think that like the surprise intention of matt's story in arianor uh and it, like it wasn't always like palpably tense but like it, the consequences felt very tangible because we kept failing over and over again and then out. i was like and then i was like okay how do I take that to the next level? And then I had the tear thing, which I think was just intense to DM as it was to listen to. It's it, it I'm constantly trying to integrate that there, but I I just don't play enough outside of Dice Populi to 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 know for sure. It leads me into the one other question that I had. Do you play any other D&D games, tabletop RPG games in your free time or has the podcast in its various forms kind of taken over your life? The podcast is kind of it for a number of reasons. I th I, I have a hard time with like regularly scheduled commitments uh, in general. Like if I have to do something every week, eventually it feels like it's a drain on me. Mm. Like if like if every Saturday I know I'm busy from here to here, I'm going to hit a Saturday where I'm like, I just want to not do this. doesn't matter how much I love it. So I bristle against that and making Dice Populi a responsibility sort of alleviates that anxiety for me. And that's totally a me problem. Video games are like my first love and my truest love when it comes to gaming. I, I adore what D&D &D is. I adore what other TTRPGs are. And for me, it's not the worlds and the books. It's the tools. Mm. I think that I like I don't. I don't care about Eberron. I don't care about Forgotten Realms. Well, it's because I... you don't know Eberron. That's why I don't care about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy, here's the thing, I enjoy Eberron, but like in the same way that I enjoy Star Wars, I'm not sitting here going like, I gotta know more. I'm just like, that was either fun or it wasn't. I'm telling you, you just gotta start digging into Eberron. I think, I think there's parts <laughs> of, honestly, I do think there's parts of it that might catch in that kind of like, oh, I, might. interesting. High fantasy, like medieval fantasy, with the exception of Tolkien, because Tolkien is its own beast, generally doesn't scratch an itch for me. Well, that's it. So it's no matter, not high fantasy, and it's, it's not, not medieval. And, and that's what I've been enjoying. It's a lot more modern than that. Still, what, what got me about D&D &D was the fact that it is a tool set for expression and storytelling. It allows people to feel like like you're directing a movie. You're the star of a movie because when you're playing a game, it's so tangible to you. When you're in a good game and you really care about it, you 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 are so in it. And that's what drives the sound design of the show and why like it started off as light and it's gotten more and more elaborate is like 
I want listeners to feel what I feel when I'm playing the game with you guys. Mm. And to me, it's not the writing of the worlds that does that. It's the people playing and the tools that they're equipped with. So I've played some TTRPG systems where I'm like, that was fun. And then I've played some where I'm like, I have transcended. What other what other systems have you played at this point? I did try the Star Trek Adventures one, and I actually really like that quite a bit. It's somewhere in between like Quest and D and D. Oh, that's good. Um, while still pretty, you got enough room for some crunchy stuff. It's just not as many dice. I've tried. I didn't play the Starfinder game with you guys, but I did some test stuff there. I did. Uh, I've read more than I've played. Mm. Um, but D and D, the Mophidius two D twenty system, Starfinder. And we did some other, a quest, obviously, but we did some other stuff in like my regular group that Josh tried out some different systems and I don't recall what those were. So I'm not the most worldly fellow, but the ones that I recall, uh, oh, can't forget Uncaged. Uncaged. (laughs) Which like I'm genuinely fond of because like that had nothing to do with a world that made sense or writing that was compelling. It had to do with... (laughs) It had to do with a set of tools that let us have so much goddamn fun with each other that I'll never forget. Yeah, it's it's, but it's genuinely hard to play something that is not Dungeons and Dragons because when it comes down to it, Pathfinder is Dungeons and Dragons and Starfinder Mm -hmm. is basically Dungeons and Dragons too with some changes. It is extremely hard to get. Yeah, uh, to get into a game of any other tabletop RPG, I just recently got into a game of Vampire the Masquerade. I was invited mm-hmm. into it uh, by Ian. Oh he yeah, was, who was he, just in our House of Hannibal Barbaris. Yeah, I uh, we we keep contact with each other, and I've been on um I've been on He's a couple so of funny. his stuff because uh, he had, it's rolled a save, and they're they're really yep. nice people over there. And I've done uh, some paranoia, which is like the antithesis of tabletop RPG. Like it's not supposed to last more than a session. It's actually incredibly difficult to craft it to be something long term yeah. because it's like you're supposed to be backstabbing there is no like the cooperation is yeah is 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 <laughs> there like you're supposed to cooperate but you're also supposed to be secretly angling for each other person at the table yeah. <laughs> and trying to get them in trouble in some way and it's just like really interesting intricate series of issues like your mutants are illegal. Every single one of you is a mutant. Secret societies <laughs> are illegal. Every single one of you is in a secret society. <laughs> so, but you're all in different yeah. and sometimes like conflicting yeah. things. That that almost seems to me more like a like a board game kind of thing. Like you know the yeah. kind of thing that you pick up at a game shop, not at like a Target or a Walmart. I think it could um, be. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some version of it that is like in a, in, a, in a board game format yeah. because it's really great. One one thing that I played a lot with the CGP crew and Chatter was was part of this group was we played a lot of uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, a, I love that game. A board game with like tons of emergent ways for things to again, like one of you is a traitor and you have to figure out who it is. Uh, and it's really clever about the way it sets it up. And there's like a million different ways for it to turn out. And like, I can yeah, I can see what you mean. Like and like uh, the the tool set needs to be tailored to an ongoing story, which is inherently a difficult thing to do because building a set of rules that can last years is is tough it's so it's so tough and like there are a lot of probably because of dungeons and dragons a lot of things in rpg like just game development uh just tropes of the genres that i don't love like i honestly i hate the idea of xp leveling i can't stand it in all its forms i think it is like if you're doing a finite thing if you're doing a skyrim where like here's the end 
cool, great. If you're doing an MMO, if you're doing an RPG that could last years, I I think that it is just like I I view it as a legacy system that needs to be done away with. Yeah. So it makes it, things it, finite. I, it does. It very much does. It because you either you either hit an endpoint or you deal with power creep. And yeah. as you go on, I think this is emblematic of how I view these things as tool sets more than anything. Like the the leveling in D and D is not very exciting to me which is why sometimes we level up two levels at a time because i was just like in dicey waters i was like it'll be more interesting if you guys have more shit to do no it doesn't make sense i don't care so yeah i i i don't know that's my feelings on it on it are mixed but i i see why it's hard to find another game because dnd does it very well but it's still got just some inherent problems that i i think need to be designed around in the future and they will for sure. And I mean, it, it just helps, too, that it's the de facto tabletop RPG. Yeah. So if people are playing yeah. it, they probably know of it. And you don't have to necessarily teach everybody at the table, which can seem yep. intimidating to new players. So there's definitely a reason why it's like the de facto one. For people developing their own TTRPGs, it's also like, well, we want to make it accessible to the people who know the most popular. Like you build toward the thing everyone knows so that there's like some sort of on-ramp. So like the trappings of D&D, good and bad, are found everywhere. So yeah. I, I see what you mean. I, uh, I trust you that if I try all these systems, <laughs> it might not be as sustainable. But like Cyberpunk Red has really caught my attention because it handles these things pretty differently. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, I got to try that one. I, like I said, I've been playing Vampire. Vampire, I mm-hmm. really like. We're playing like third edition, which is like also called Revised, which is like in the 90s, like heyday mm-hmm. version of it. It's a lot of fun. I'm surprised. I think a lot of it, too, is Ian is a very good DM and he's doing it very yeah. slow and steady. Like you're not necessarily rolling all the time. It's very like he's given us a problem. We're trying to work our way through it and it's probably going to lead to other problems. I definitely want to play that more. I'm very excited to be part of that. Something I've been wanting to do for a yeah. while. Is oh, there great. is there a t- tabletop RPG you really want to play as like a one shot or a limited run for uh, Dice I, Populi? I would love, and I can't for for <laughs> I for a number of reasons. I need to wait, stay away from branded Star Trek content for personal <laughs> reasons and professional reasons. It's just a dangerous thing for me to fall into. Um, but the. I really do like the Mephidius 2D20 system. It's it's basically the idea where you... it's And a lot of games use a system like this, but the idea is not that you have to roll past a threshold and then that's your result. Mm-hmm. It's each die rolls and there's a threshold on it and that die is either a success or a failure. So essentially every skill check, every act- action, every task, as they call it in that system, uh, boils down to the number of successes and failures. So it's a little easier to manipulate as gm because you you get the crunchiness of having all these very specific stats that you need to roll against but you get the ease of saying like i really only need to modify one or two numbers here and there are some really good systems in play to do that like ways to keep track of dangerous actions the players take and how you can hit them back for that later on without worrying about the the complexity of classes with matt we've struggled to keep track of tides of chaos and that's yeah. just like one little thing i think that the 2d20 system and they do a bunch of branded content star trek's just one of them uh, i think there's a fallout one that just came out that uses the same system i have it. seen that it looks fun and generally these games get pretty good reviews and because i think that it is a nice balance of give the number crunchers something to to crunch on but make sure that the game is not falling into a math session which, yeah exactly uh let me tell you if i hated co- running initiative combat before <laughs> dice populi i hate it so much more now i yeah i mm, 
oh man, just every time Matt and I have to edit a fight episode, <laughs> Matt's like, I might be late on this one. It's a fight. And I'm yeah. like, I don't drink, Matt, but I will drink with you on this one. That is, I think, one of the toughest parts of D&D is the combat while... I think as a DM, it feels like there's so much stuff going on, but to a listener, it's yeah. it's not a lot, and there there has to be a lot edited, or it gets very slow. Yeah. Um, and it's a very common problem with players. Like when you're going around an initiative order, it can sometimes take so long that you'll just zone out and totally lose track of the game. Like, oh yeah, it's it, a big problem. It's it's one of those things where it's like it's it feels like the concept of passwords. Passwords as a means of security are terrible. They're awful. But they're the best thing we've got, yeah. and we need something better. <laughs> the best and, thing and compared to everything else. Yeah, yeah, and they're 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 happening. Um, it's yeah. So, uh, was that Winston Churchill? Did he say that about democracy? Yeah, democracy is the, the worst form yeah, of government form besides of government. everything else. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's how I feel about initiative, and as an editor, it's even worse. But you know, say lovey. That's how it is. You'll, I mean, you'll notice in the above boards, I try to avoid initiative altogether and just follow the action i find that much more interesting do it more organic all right so i think we're we're pretty much done here i think we're we've definitely gone a little over on time which is good because i'm probably going to edit out a lot of breathing (laughs) (gasps) Uh, so i have one final question i think it's a really it's one of my favorite questions to ask people what is your best experience as a dm or player (laughs) i'm gonna let me let me think about that that's always a thinker it's a good one it's one of my favorite questions it is Josh and I, at one point, we we ran like a local D and D night at the mall back before the apocalypse hit, and <laughs> uh, like it was pretty like we would get like fifty people like every time we were there, and we'd break it up into different tables. Matt DM some for it, Chowder showed up and DM some for it, and it was always great. But I just uh, I it was my first time truly embracing Josh's ethos of jazz D and D, and I had a table of. I'm not saying I'm popular or anything, but I had a table of like 10 or 12 people that I did not know. I didn't know a single one of them. No, I knew my uncle. My uncle was there. He's, he's fun. <laughs> I knew the uncle. That I is knew, for I knew, sure. I knew the uncle. No, that's my uncle Mike. Great guy. Love that guy. It was just like, I just sat down and I like very much like a bad improv thing. I'm like, all right, what's the name of the town? And someone said, Hillstown. I was like, okay, that's the name of the town. What province is this a part of? And we landed on Hills province. So it was Hillstown, <laughs> Burrowsburg. And I had absolutely no plan. And with the most players I've ever had at a table, I just for two and a half hours ran them through a completely improvised thing that had like stealth and combat and like a recurring story beats from beginning to end that was like just as much brought by some incredible players as by myself and like i'll i'll never have that exact experience again especially as like i don't like being around people that much like i'm fine in a crowd but i don't like having to interact with people it's yeah, yeah. it's i i don't consider myself good at it i get anxious but like this was a situation where everything fell away and i just ran the game and they were so much fun to play with and they were so grateful and they were so generous that i, I don't remember any of their names but i remember having such a good time just it it was truly making something up everybody spent like a half hour making up a character at a table and then we all played it and that's it that's all it was and it was a perfect game. Yeah, that's amazing. That sounds that sounds really good. Yeah, no, it was good. It's really well, good. Well, that is all the questions that I have. Is there any any last minute things you want to say before we cut off here? 
should I have prepared some like return questions for you? Oh like, no no no! I put this on is... the interviewer hat. Ah no no okay, no! This well, is this. Hold is... on, let me get rid of. Let me get rid of that. Maybe crinkling paper. Maybe if this goes well and people like it, somebody could interview me. Uh, But I'm I'm the interviewer at this point. I am the was it Lipton? This is the into the into the actor studio. Yeah. No, I I mean it's always fun to do this. I enjoy expressing why I do the things I do. Um, (laughs) Obviously, because I have multiple podcasts. But like it's uh, behind the scenes stuff is my favorite. I firmly believe that for every hour of film and television there is, there needs to be two hours of behind the scenes and bloopers. Like I love getting into these nuts and bolts. And if people have questions, like go ahead and ask them. But like Dice Populi is such a uniquely rewarding thing. And as I stare down the barrel of some bigger projects, like I care so much about this and uh, I am not always the easiest person to work with or get along with, and I am so grateful that I have like a team of you guys that I can work so well with. And there's just an understanding and a sense that we all care. And like any bullshit that comes to the table, we are all so ready to just like wipe it off and say, "Let's just make a good thing and have a good time and welcome as many people as we can." Yeah. No. Yeah, I agree. It's. Uh, I think. I think it's. It's honestly, I love doing it. I love the podcast. Yeah. It's good. It's a good time. It's, it's fun hanging out with everybody and creating a story. I, and it's will, amazing that people like it. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad it shines through. Like, like every time that I'm like, oh, but we don't do this well or we don't do that well. I, I like I listen to people talk about the show and I'm just like, hell yeah, it's it's <laughs> I'm again, like I grew up watching things and feeling like this is amazing. This makes me want to change the way I live my life. I love it so much. And I'm like, I just want to put more of that forward. And if it's just enough for people to say, like, hey, here, this guy, this is Ryan made fun of Colin. It was pretty funny. Like, <laughs> that's that's a fucking slam dunk every time. No, yeah, it's great. And I think with that, I think we're I think I think that's it. I think we let's, let's throw this one in the can. I want to thank you, everybody. If this does ever get listened, I want to thank you for listening. And uh, maybe uh, depending on when this airs, if people mm-hmm. have questions for Colin, they can send it to me. And then when we could do like a, another episode in the future, uh, we, I could re-interview you asking the same exact oh. questions. Oh, and man. Then, it's, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dream. Just people talking, like asking me about me yeah. and then publishing it over and over again ad infinitum. Ugh. So but I want to thank everybody for listening. And I really appreciate your time uh, for t- taking the time to talk to me, Colin, to make this extra content for no, all of our beloved this fans. Was, this, this was fun. I thought it would be a lot more like nitty gritty D&D stuff. And I'm so grateful it wasn't because I am like <laughs> the least D&D of this group for sure. So this, yeah. was, this was really fun. I didn't want to make it too accosting i was more i wanted yeah. I, I feel like everybody knows so colin D&D. how do you think about the the errata rules revision from <laughs> yeah, no i'm gonna no be like what are you talking that. about what's errata i just thought it'd be kind of fun for uh, you know people getting a chance to know us a little bit better maybe learn a yeah. little bit more about us and we can build our cult of personality and then we can start mixing batches of kool-aid um and then we can <laughs> see what happens but i want to thank you i want to thank everybody for listening and i'll see you again between the two roles
come. Um, yeah, you can you can definitely relax a bit more with this. I think so. It'll be uh it'll be nice, hate, especially because it's not instructional. It, I like, hate the, the sound of my own breathing. <laughs> I wish I because well, that's I a great at, line to open on. <laughs> I hate the sound of my own breathing. 